Miss You Day Chicago is a church made of congregations rallying around the singular vision of joining God in the renewal of all things new. If you like what you hear, stay tuned for more information. Well, good morning and welcome. Um, yeah, like Brian mentioned, my name is Suzanne and I'm one of the elders here. And it is my joy to share with you a little bit this morning from the book of Ruth. And um, before I teach, I always like to just take a moment um, to prepare myself and prepare you for what we're about to hear. So if you would just join me in a moment of just silence and deep breathing um, and just acknowledge sort of whatever your mindset or your like physical feeling is this morning, if you're feeling anxious or tired or happy, um, if you just take a moment to acknowledge that um, and just take a moment um, to join me in prayer. God, you are good and you are with us. Um, all the time, and um, it is your desire to speak to us through your word, Um, so I thank you for the message today. Pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing and acceptable to you, and that you would speak to us today um, through this message and through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Today, the message, um, and really the series that we're in for Advent, is a little bit different, and um, Different is always a little, makes me a little anxious, get a little nervous. Jake asked me last night, how are you doing? I was like, I feel a little stressed because none of my preparation is like it normally is. Um, At the same time, I feel really good. I feel like I know what I want to say and it's good. Um, But it felt different because today, instead of speaking, um, me doing a lot of the heavy lifting to uh, spell out for you what I think God wants us to hear from his message, um, the Bible, as it's written, is going to do the heavy lifting. We're going to just walk through the story of Ruth together. Um, we're studying the women of Jesus' uh, genealogy that are mentioned um, by name in Matthew during Advent. Um, as Christine pointed out, whenever there's something remarkable or a detail that seems like it's just extra, um, it's meant for us to pay attention to. And in a patriarchal society, to name women in Jesus' genealogy is remarkable. It stands out. And so we're going to pay attention to it so we can learn a little bit um, more about what God's love story for us through the women um, in Jesus' genealogy. And Advent is a season of preparation. And Christine also pointed out, I think this one came from Brian, that like it's not waiting as in waiting in line, but waiting as a server in preparation. Um, for the gift that we are going to celebrate in Jesus. And so in this message, I want to highlight two ways that I think God is calling us to wait and prepare for that celebration of Jesus in this Advent season. Uh, In the story of Ruth, uh, we're going to see a couple remarkable things. Ruth is um, an outsider. She's a woman. She's a foreigner, and she's a widow. So there's no reason that Ruth should be given a place of honor and mention. And I love how God is constantly subverting what we as a culture value to show us what he has a heart for. We're going to see that God's willingness to just how far he is willing to pursue us, to reach down, to lift us up um, for our redemption and our salvation. We're going to see him cross cultural and societal barriers. 
Uh, Ruth was a woman making bold moves in a man's world. Um, Actually, reading her story reminded me of the story of Mary and Martha from the New Testament. And growing up um, in a rather, a home that really had traditional roles for men and women. Um, The women were always in the kitchen doing prep. The men were going outside, fixing things, mowing the grass. Um, I always wanted to learn how to ride the riding mower. My grandpa would say, no, go help your grandma with the dishes. Instead, he struggled to teach my brother, who would have way preferred to wash the dishes. Um, but in that story, when I was growing up and I heard that story of Mary and Martha, I always thought that um, Martha was upset because she was working so hard and Mary was just resting. And as an adult, it was highlighted to me that Mary wasn't remarkable because she didn't do women's work in the kitchen. She's remarkable. Not, not only did she not do that, but she went and sat at Jesus' feet which was not something that women did. It was something that only men did. And that was a real aha moment for me in recognizing just how much Jesus celebrated when women crossed those cultural barriers that were set for them and how much Jesus has a heart really um, to place women in a place of equality with men. And so we're going to see that in Ruth's story, um, how she crosses those cultural barriers time and time again, um, boldly, in a way that seems to defy logic and sense, um, but is clearly in pursuit of the journey that God has for her. She, we're also going to see she was an outsider um, racially. She was a Moabite. And um, it's really remarkable because the Moabites were not um, respected at all. They were actually outcast from the Assembly of God by the Jewish people. Um, Back in Deuteronomy, the Moabites were um, descendants of Lot. When Lot was escaping Sodom and Gomorrah, um, when God destroyed those cities, he was escaping with his daughters, and they saw that destruction, and they thought, oh my gosh, the world is ending. We have to procreate to keep it going. And so they had children with their father, Lot, and that was the start of Moab. And so in the sight of the Jewish people, um, they were not clean. They were not welcome. Um, God even declared in Deuteronomy, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. And isn't it just like God to then place a Moabite in Jesus' line? Um, So in chapter 1, Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to alternate a little bit between just reading scripture and let it speak for itself and summarizing because it's a four-chapter book and um, we don't want to be here all day. So in chapter one, um, we get introduced to the characters in the main conflict. It says, in the days of when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn to the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his sons were Malon and Kilian. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died when she, with her two, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilian died so that the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. Um, 
So we learn that there was a famine in, in Judah. And so they, this family leaves Bethlehem and they go to Moab because um, they need food. And they settle there. Um, they marry there. And then the husband dies and her two sons die. So we have three women that are left without the protection of marriage, without the provision of a husband. They have no land, they have no rights, and they have no safety. And at this time, um, the, the famine was over. It's been 10 years. And um, Ruth, I'm sorry, Naomi decides that she's going to go back home to Bethlehem. And she tells her daughters-in-law, look, I'm going to go back. Um, you stay here. And you go back to your, your family's homes um, perhaps you can marry another, right? At least you'll be here in the land where you know. Um, maybe at best you can even find new husbands. But don't come with me, right? I'm going back to Judah where you're hated. So you'll be doubly destitute, um, first as widows and then as foreigners. And Orpah's like, oh, word, I hear you, yes. <laughs> and she goes, um, but Naomi, Ruth doesn't, um, and she, with passion and conviction, says to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried." May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she was determined that she was determined to go with her. She said no more. Um, Till death do us part, right? This is the equivalent of a marriage covenant that Ruth is making to Naomi. And again, in a patriarchal society, women weren't out there declaring marriage. Um, they were, at best, obeying when their families arranged it for them. So this is one way that we see Ruth really stepping out in boldness and declaring this love for Naomi. And um, her commitment is clear with her words. Um, she shows strength and fearlessness, because not only is she proposing a marriage covenant in a patriarchal society, but She's also um, willing to go into this foreign land and to, be, to live a life um, not only of destitution as a widow, but judgment as someone who's racially despised and seen as less than by birth. Um, Greg Boyd, or, who is a pastor um, that also taught on Ruth, says, Ruth clearly loved Naomi, and that love made her bold, and it made her choose to do something that was countercultural, even over the security of her mother's house and the security of a husband. She makes a decision that defies logic and custom to follow her heart, which is often sometimes the case when we're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, and this is one of the things that I think God is, one of the ways God is calling us to prepare for him um, in the gift of Jesus in Advent. Uh, is to think about who is God calling you to cling to. Um, it is remarkable to me this morning that my son, who is often seen clinging to me during worship, asked to go to class. <laughs> and I, they, the teacher said hi to my back because 
is when he just walked in, I turned around and I walked right back out because I said, I don't want to linger in case, you know, he gets, he remembers where he's at and he gets clingy. Um, it is remarkable that after a year or more of him clinging to me every Sunday morning, he just walked into class. Um, but I'm also reminded when I was studying for this and got to this part and it really stood out to me, this idea of clinging to people, um, that Naomi and Ruth, it's one thing for them to be a family and to be together and be committed um, when their husbands are there, right? And they're living as a family. But here they are in this, this true hardship, right? And, and for Ruth to cling to Naomi in her hardship and join her in that and to choose, um, clearly they're stronger together, right? Whatever their situation as widows, it's, it'll be easier and safer together than alone. But Ruth had an opportunity to go back and possibly um, escape her widowness and, and, and find a husband. And she chooses instead to join Naomi and, and to partner with her in that hardship. And um, recently I had an opportunity, um, I work in a school and I work in a district that particularly struggles with retaining um, black and brown staff. We have a, a racial divide in our district and um, everything that is written on paper looks good. But any black or brown staff member there will tell you it's hard to be black and brown at that school. And sometimes it's hard to articulate what it is. And um, in those sort of microaggressions and, and unwritten but sometimes spoken hardships, it's hard to fix, right? It's not right out in the open. It's not overt racism. Um, and as someone who has a heart for racial justice and has a heart for equity in schools, it's heartbreaking for me to not be able to just fix it. Um, and recently, when a staff member came to me and they shared um, an experience they had, God very clearly impressed on me, like, you cannot fix this for this person, but you can cling to this person in their hardship. You can be present with them. You can sit with them in this hurt. And it was just really a powerful opportunity. Um, and it was, really blew my mind when I came to this part of the story, and I was like, this is, it's powerful work, and some, especially as someone who is happier moving, likes to do things, and likes to fix things, right, and wanted to ride that lawnmower, um, sometimes it, it doesn't feel like doing very much to just be, um, but God's clearly showing us that there's power and there's opportunity when we um, cling to people, when we follow his leading, we follow the Holy Spirit, and we stick together. So the story goes on. Um, in chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem together where they're widows. And um, last week when we learned about Tamar, we learned about the Leverite law, where if um, in Jewish culture, if a husband passes away and there's a brother or a close relative that's alive, they can marry that spouse to redeem the bloodline. They were called a kinsman redeemer. Uh, and that's what we're going to see happen in this story. So Ruth and Naomi come back, and um, another law in Jewish custom was this law of gleaning. Uh, landowners were allowed one pass at their harvest, and they were to leave anything that they didn't collect on that one pass for widows and the poor and the destitute to come along and, and pick up. And that was kind of their welfare system. That's how they provided for the poor. They were allowed to go and glean in the fields. And so Ruth says, I'm going to go out 
she's the younger one, makes sense to me, right? I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna glean in the field. Uh, but remember, Ruth is bold, she's edgy. And she's like, I'm not just gonna go glean in the field like everyone else says. I'm gonna glean kind of out in the open and I'm gonna see if I can get the attention of someone that might show favor on us. And she doesn't know it, but as it turns out, Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz. And Boaz is a wealthy Jewish landowner. Um, coincidentally, Boaz is, I believe, the grandson of Rahab, right? So he's in this line of, of women in Jesus' story. And he is a distant relative of um, Elimelech, Naomi's um, late husband. And so nobody knows this, no one knows who anyone is yet, but Ruth just goes out and she finds herself in this field and she's gleaning and Boaz comes and he says, ooh, who is that woman? Um, and they say, oh, describe who she is and, and it turns out that Boaz has heard of Ruth. Um, and so he says to his workers, you know, I want you to look out for her. Uh, make sure that no one harms her. Apparently it was common practice. Um, is that... It's shocking to me to say this out loud, but that women you know, were susceptible to being um, raped and violated when they were not married, and they were, out in the, like, they were risking their, their lives to go out in these fields to glean. Um, and so Boaz says, make sure that nobody violates her, right? Protect her, look out for her. Um, and he also says, like, as you're harvesting, in fact, like, don't take it all. Like, feel easy in your harvesting. Make sure that if she's behind you, there's some there for her to pick up. Um, and then he even invites her to his table to have a meal with her. And he says, don't bring your own water. You can drink ours. So Boaz is, is looking out for Ruth. Um, and she says, you know, who am I that you're going to show me such favor? And he says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Um, so Ruth catches Boaz's eye. Um, he's heard of her and he already he, her reputation precedes her um, and he knows that that, like, like it says, what she, all that she did. He knows her character. Um, but he didn't know that's who it was when he walked up. And so when he finds out, he's like, wow. Um, the, the story at several points hints at the fact that Ruth was an attractive woman. So Boaz is like, wow, I already knew you were a person of good character, and wow, right? He is taken with her. He shows her favor. He gives her protection. Um, but he does it all kind of on, like, not um, a little bit to her face, but a little bit um, to his workers, just making sure that they're taking good care of her. And so Ruth gleans in the field, and she comes home and brings all this grain back to Naomi. And she says, wow, who, whose field have you been in that you came home with this much of a harvest? She brings home what turns out to be like a month's worth of grain in one day. And... Um, she tells her that it was Boaz, and Naomi says, oh, you know, th thank God. Uh, the verses say, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, 
the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides he, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So Boaz is a distant relative. Um, he is, has the potential to be this kinsman redeemer. And, um, but it says that for um, two different seasons, the barley and the wheat harvest, she continues gleaning in his fields. Um, and so whatever favor, whatever it is um, that he likes about Ruth. Um, he doesn't do anything about it but provide and look out for her. He doesn't um, pursue her as this kinsman redeemer um, yet. And this is another point um, that I think is really remarkable. So as the, as the story goes on in chapter 3, we see Ruth again taking some bold action. And This is something, like I said, that um, as I was studying, I did two things when I was preparing for this lesson that I don't like to do. Um, and I looked up commentaries that are by people that I don't know. I don't know about you, but in this day and age, I get a little um, tense and nervous about listening to teaching because I'm always like, oh, what am I going to hear that's going to be a little cringy, right? Where are those microaggressions going to come through? Who's going to say something that's not quite appropriate? Um, and... It, it can be hard. I really like to cling to the teachers that I kind of know I can trust when I know what's coming. Like I said, change can be a little unsettling for me. Um, so one of the, the teachers that I listen to, um, Chuck Missler, he points out that um, Ruth, when in, in this, this part of the story I'm going to tell next, sometimes people think it's like a, that Ruth was going out in a romantic way or like a, she was making a, a pass. Um, in a sexual way, but she's not. Um, but she is being bold. She is boldly going out and saying she is going to do something that signals to Boaz, like, I'm, if you want to be my kinsman redeemer, I am willing. And there's something uh, really powerful and beautiful and really in line with God's character here that God has this lavish love, an abundance of love that he wants to pour out on all of us, on each of us but he doesn't just force it on you. God waits until you invite him in, until you are ready, until you signal to him, I'm willing to receive the love that you have to give me. And then he just opens the floodgates. And that's kind of what we're going to see happen here. Um, Naomi says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, you need to go wash yourself, anoint yourself, and go out in the cover of night. Be careful not to be seen because, again, a woman at night um, can be easily taken advantage of. And um, you're going to lay at his feet. During the harvest, they would lay, uh, the, the landowners would sleep out in the field so that their grain and their harvest didn't get stolen. And so um, she says, go to where Boaz is laying. And Ruth, she says, pay attention to where he lays. And she positions herself um, in the same position where a servant would lay at her feet. And then she uncovers his feet. And this is like a signal in Jewish culture, right, um, that she's not saying like, hey, I want to lie with you. She's saying, I'm willing to be married to you if you want to be married to me. And if we remember, 
This is bold, not only because she's a woman and she is offering this covenant, she's making the first move in a, in a covenant offer here, but she's also a Moabite. She is a young woman, um, and Boaz is a wealthy, older Jewish landowner. So there's no good reason in culture why these two would be a good match. Um, so it's a really bold move for her to go and lay at his feet in this way. Um, and he, when he wakes up and he realizes who's there, he's flattered. Um, and he responds to her. Um, it says, at midnight, the man is startled, and he turns over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and you have not gone after a young man, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask, um, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And I love that his, uh, sort of the way that he is honoring and, and loving on Ruth here is for her character, right? You, and her reputation, right? You've shown yourself that you are um, a woman with a good heart, and you, you honor me with what you're asking. But again, he doesn't make his move until she lays at his feet and she signals to him that she's ready. There's just something so respectful there that mirrors the respect and the love that God has for us. So in chapter 4, um, of course, like any good story, there's got to be a little, you know, it's not, it's, we're not at the end yet. It's a little complication, a little hiccup. Um, Boaz is not the nearest relative. There's one more who's, who would be first in line to be a kinsman redeemer and has the right to marry Ruth um, if he wants. And so he says, you know, stay here, stay, sneak out early morning where you can still be safe. Um, don't go out in the middle of the night because I don't want anything to happen to you, but go out before light comes so nobody sees you so your, your reputation is still protected um, and I'll take care of it. And he goes to this other relative and he says, hey, um, Elimelech's land is up for redemption and you can have it, but you gotta marry a woman too. <laughs> and that requires some sacrifice and some money on this relative's part. And he decides like, you know, Oh, land would be great, but like a, a woman too? That sounds complicated. I'll pass. Um, so it opens the door for Boaz to marry Ruth. And um, as the scripture says in chapter 4, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi said, then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed the father of Jesse, the father of David. Um, so here we have in this picture the story of Ruth, a woman who is inferior in society by race as a Moabite, by gender as a woman, and by her position as a widow, redeemed to a place of honor, 
married to a Jewish landowner and named in the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus came to redeem us and also to break down the barriers that culture and society use to separate us from him and from each other. Uh, Greg Boyd also said that where God reigns, the original place of women is to be restored, which is equal to men. Not only does the story of Ruth foreshadow the restoration of equality between men and women, but also the end of all judgments along racial and national lines. He says the insider and outsider distinctions, the us and them thinking, is to come to an end on the cross with Jesus. Our governments may declare war on people, but we as the people of God who know what Jesus is doing, what Jesus came to do, are to see human beings that are made in the image of God and with immeasurable value as evidenced by the fact that Jesus died for them. So as we reflect on this message today and we prepare our hearts for this Advent season, I want to pose these questions to you. Who is God calling you to cling to? And what does it look like for you to signal to God that you are ready to receive his love? Would you take a moment to reflect and pray with me? God, you are gracious and you are good and you came to do big things um, in us and for us. And I know that you have um, a collective narrative that you are telling over time, Lord, and it is our joy to be a part of it. You also have a personal journey that you are calling each one of us to and guiding each one of us on. So I pray that as we um, seek you, that you would hear us and that you would lead us um, as we prepare to celebrate Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message from Missio Day Lincoln Square. If you'd like to know more about Missio Day Lincoln Square, please reach out to us at lincolnsquare at missiodaychicago.com.